Hi, everyone, and welcome into the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Sowerson here in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, where tonight the Pelicans will wrap up their five-game road trip against the Thunder, looking for their first win of this road trip. They're 0-4, but have also played the top four teams in the Western Conference based on their record. And, of course, Anthony Davis has missed a couple games due to injury. He's listed as probable for tonight, so should be fine. As the Pelicans need this win badly as they head home after this, and we'll take on the Bulls in Suns later on. This week, of course, we'll talk about those Saints today as well. How about that win over the Los Angeles Rams? 45 to 35. I got a little nervous, though. The Rams or the Saints had a 35 to 14 lead and then came back after that. Rams tied it up at 35, but then Saints came up with some huge stops down the stretch and a big touchdown to Michael Thomas at the end um, to give the Saints a 10 point lead. And now they're in the driver's seat for the number one seed in the East or in the East NFC, I should say. I'm getting my basketball and football mixed up. But nonetheless, Saints are in the driver's seat now with a 7-1 record. Rams drop to 8-1, and and now the Saints get ready for the Cincinnati Bengals. How about Drew Brees yesterday? 25 of 36, 346 yards and four touchdown passes. He now has 22 career games with four passing TDs and no INTs, tying Tom Brady for most all-time. And, of course, how about Alvin Kamara? Three touchdowns, two on the ground, one receiving and michael thomas can't forget about him 12 receptions 211 yards one touchdown and one phone cell phone being used as he paid homage to joe horn after his last touchdown we're going to get into all of that with john the shazer of new orleansstates.com who was of course there yesterday for the win and we'll also talk pelicans today with jim eikenhofer of pelicans.com is hopefully the ramp or the pelicans excuse me can get back on track as they take on the Oklahoma City Thunder. So we have a lot going on today. Let's get right to it. Up next, we'll start with John the Shazer of NewOrleansStates.com. The Black and Blue Report is yours right now. This is the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. Here's Daniel Sellerson. All right, as promised, we bring in John the Shazer of NewOrleansSaints.com, who was there in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome yesterday for the 45-35 to win over the Los Angeles Rams. And, J.D., I mean, what a shootout uh, for both teams, I should say. And the Saints were up 35-14. The Rams were able to tie it up. And then some big defensive stops at the end for the Saints. I mean, just first off, what a ball game for New Orleans to get that seventh win. Yeah, a little crazy. Um, you thought it would be maybe a little high scoring because – we're talking about the two highest, two of the highest scoring offenses in the NFL, and so you know, you know, both teams are capable of putting up points. But when the Saints jump out 34, 35 to fourteen, you almost felt like they had their foot on the Rams' necks, and then all of a sudden, you know, the Rams, being who they are and as efficient as they are offensively, they they put up a rally and scored twenty one straight. But yeah, it was a great, great game visually, uh, to, pleasing to the eye, and obviously, if you're a New Orleans Saints fan, then pleasing to the uh, to everything else because they end up with the win, and a huge win, man. Get to seven and one. Yeah, the Rams are eight and one, yeah, but you own the head to head, and now we're at the point of the season where you start kind of looking at playoff scenarios. And I understand Carolina's still just one game behind the Saints, but you still start kind of formulating you know, ideas about what might happen because that's just, you know, human nature. You start looking ahead of time. You start looking ahead and looking forward. And I know all the teams and, and players say hey, we're going to take it one game at a time. But as fans and, and others who are on the outside looking in, we don't have to uh, maintain that. We can always look forward. So that's what we're doing. And 
Saints have put themselves in a really good position, Daniel. Yeah, I was about to say, with the Rams dropping to 8-1, like you mentioned, now they own the tiebreaker of Los Angeles. I know you're only a game ahead of the Panthers, but it seems like now these two teams look like the best teams in the NFC, and I know there's still a long way to go, but it seems like the Saints are in pretty good position tiebreaker-wise and then conference record-wise. I, I thought last yesterday's game was not only just a big win for them for confidence-wise, but just a big win for playoff implications. Well, a huge win. But And I tell you what now, if we're going to talk about top teams in the NFC, do not sleep on Carolina, man. They Carolina scares me. And, they, and they're that team every year, and especially with Cam Newton playing as efficiently as he is this year. If he doesn't turn the ball over, usually Carolina's a pretty good team. But right now, what the Saints have shown is they can win – in any manner you need to, whether it's a, a slugfest, whether it's a shootout. Uh, they've had games where the defense and offensive played well, and so they've scored 40 and held the opposition to 19 or 18. Uh, they've had, you know, they've done just enough to win um, 30 to 20 against the Vikings and 45-35 and yesterday. Uh, they've just been able to adapt. They won on the road, uh, tough games against Minnesota and Baltimore. They've been able to win at home, uh, this one against the Rams, and uh, also against Cleveland and Washington here. So they've been able to do enough uh, to win in any venue, in any way you need to be able to win. And, that, and that's critical for a playoff team because you don't know where you're going to be playing. You don't know where the conditions are going to be. Uh, you don't know what type of opponent you're playing. But the Saints, I think, are built to play any type game anywhere. J.D., let's talk about the offense for a few moments here. And Michael Thomas, just you continue to see him perform, and I feel like no one really wants to talk about him and how great of a wide receiver he is, but he showed yesterday 12 receptions, 211 yards, and a touchdown that he's got to be up there as one of the top wide receivers in the game, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, if you want to play a man-to-man, you got to pay a price for it, and that's what the Rams did. And every team that plays him man-to-man as much as the Rams did yesterday – they end up playing a part price for it. His his eyes light up when he sees that kind of situation. He's stronger than well, not most DBs. He's stronger than every DB, I'm sure. Uh, and then he gets you to the point where I think you get frustrated because that last touchdown pass, that 72 yarder, Marcus Peters is one. He's looking to make a play. It's third and seven. Two, he peeks into the backfield. And three, he doesn't think Michael Thomas is going to take him deep. He doesn't think he's going to take him over the top. And so it was the perfectly executed play where Michael Thomas gives him a little something. Marcus P Peters bites. Uh, Drew Brees, if you look at the throw, it is as good a throw as you will see. It's right over Peters' fingertips. Uh, it hits Michael Thomas right in stride, and he basically can walk to the end zone. But, yeah, Mike, Mike Thomas, is he, that's what he was, was during training camp against Marshawn Lattimore and his teammates, Ken Crawley, whoever it was that was against him in the Saints training camp. That's what he's been for his first three seasons. He's just been really a bully on the block. J.D., I'm assuming that those are your cell phones underneath the goalpost yesterday that Michael Thomas took out for that last touchdown, right? Well, you know, I keep a flip every now and then, you know, just an emergency situation because <laughs> you never know. These, these new age ones, you know, they'll kind of give up on you, but the flips, the flips will never go bad. They will not. Um, also, <laughs> there's a couple touchdown celebrations that got me, caught my eye. Not only was Michael Thomas – but also Ben Watson announcing he's having twins with that touchdown celebration. Did you know what he was doing when he scored that touchdown and put the put the football under his belly? Well, I I knew I had you know I, I, the bit the the quick assumption was that you know the wife was pregnant. Now did I know she was with twins? I didn't know the five and the two what he was doing there because 
You know, to be honest, I hadn't really kept up with the with the Watson family household count. I knew Ben had, you know, a decent amount of kids, but I didn't know that the wife was pregnant with twins. But once he puts the once he puts the football under the jersey, that's kind of the universal. I remember a Giants running back. Can't remember his name. A couple of years ago did the same thing. Now he got he got like I think he got either he got penalized for taunting or he got fined by the league. I can't remember which one. He did the exact same celebration, tucked the football under his jersey to show his you know, respect for his wife or a significant other who was pregnant. But Ben Watson does it, and, yeah, he does the five and the two. So, yeah, I knew he was talking about pregnancy. I didn't know he was talking about twins, though. So that, that's, pretty, that's pretty cool. Yeah, there's a lot of cool celebrations yesterday. And also, I think the defense has the right to celebrate. J.D., I'll start with Todd Gurley, who only had 13 carries, 68 yards, one touchdown, six receptions for 11 yards. Did you feel like they did a good job of uh, – containing him and he's been so hard to contain throughout the whole season yeah you, you can't beat the Rams without slowing down Todd Gurley uh, that just that's part of the territory now saying that and doing it are two totally different things but the Saints were able to slow him down as much as anybody's been able to slow him down just population to the football keep him in some areas he did pop a long run but for the most part they were able to just keep him corralled and then you know, you, you're going to have to live with some results in the passing game. You're not going to be able to get to Jared Goff every time, and they've got some talented receivers, and they make you pay for it. But the Saints were able to get enough critical stops. But it begins with making them a lot more one-dimensional than probably even they want to be. And the only way you can do that is you've got to be able to get the ball out of Gurley's hands. And they were able to do that. I mean, Ty Gurley's been basically a menace this season. He's been wearing teams out. Now he's got touchdowns in 12 straight games because he still scored one yesterday. And that's hard to do, and I don't care who you are in the NFL. That's hard to do. But the Saints were able to do just enough to make them a lot more one-dimensional. It helps jumping out to a 21-point lead because that probably took him out of the game some too. Rams couldn't be quite as balanced as they wanted to because now they're in a sprint mode trying to catch up. But the Saints give them credit. They were able to do that by stopping Gurley and able to extend themselves and get that lead. Also, how about P.J. Williams? There are a couple of games that he was struggling, J.D., but it seems in the last couple of games he's come up with some huge plays. How about the games of P.J. Williams so far? Well, those stops on third and fourth down on the Rams' last possession really are, are as good a play as you'll see outside of a pick six, I guess. But for a cornerback standpoint, P.J. Williams, uh, Johnny on the spot against Brandon Cooks on both of those throws were able to break up those passes get him on the ground, and I think, you know, he said he hoped to really parlay last week's NFC Defensive Player of the Week. He wanted to parlay that into some consistency, and I think we saw that yesterday. I thought, I would say uh, grade-wise, after the Saints look at it, they might have graded him highest among their cornerbacks, even though Marshawn Lattimore had a pretty solid game, but I would think P.J. Williams really showed up well on film to, on film today. How do you think the defensive line did without, without Marcus Davenport? Do you feel like they held their own yesterday? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's, you know, you want to get sacks, obviously. That's the glamour stat, and you want to, you know, be, you know beat up the quarterback a little bit and get, get the clock in his head a little bit. And I don't know necessarily if they generated as much pressure as they want to, but they got to Jared Goff a couple of times, and they did call some errant throws uh, just on some hits, you know, simultaneously as the throws. So I think they, you know, they'll be – satisfied I won't say pleased because you know you want to again you want to get sacks you want to get some strip sacks uh, you want to get that guy jittery in the pocket and make him inaccurate because he's nervous and I don't necessarily know if they ever got him that now that said Jared Goff 
is pretty good right now. <laughs> he's not a bad quarterback. He's not that rookie that they beat up a couple of years ago and got him skittish in the Superdome. He's a, he's a different player right now. But I think they'll be satisfied with what they see on film in terms of being able to get to him. I know Sheldon Rankins uh, pushed the pocket into his lap a couple of times. Cam Jordan got some nice rushes on the outside. He always does. And they made golf move around a little bit, but they couldn't quite get him on the ground. And, you know, that's always the stat that you're looking for to see, you know, the quarterback hits and the quarterback sacks. They weren't able to do a whole lot of that, but I thought they did speed him up a few times. And then in those clutch situations, they were able to get it, you know, make him be inaccurate enough to get off the field. It doesn't get any easier, J.D., of the Bengals on the road Sunday then it's the defending champion Eagles coming into your house next week, and then the big game against the Falcons on Thanksgiving. The Saints continue to have a daunting schedule, but yet so far they've taken care of business. What do you like about the matchup against Cincinnati next week? Well, I like the fact that the Saints have been able to stop the run. And again, you know, they're, they're going to be playing against, you know, A.J. Green at receiver and Andy Dalton at quarterback. And Andy Dalton is a pretty good quarterback, especially at home. And A.J. Green uh, has spent years as one of the top three, four, five receivers in the league, and he he does not seem to have slowed down much. And then they got Joe Mixon running the football now, but the Saints have been able to stop the run, and that's where it begins. You got to stop a team, uh, make them one dimensional, and if they're gonna go after you know AJ Green, well, that's why you have Marshawn Lattimore on the roster. You know you you want to be able to cover him. So you know it's gonna be a hard game though because it's on the road and it's always a hard game, and usually on the road. You just want to, you know, you want to stay close. You want to see if, you know, give yourself a chance to win it at the end. They've been able to do that. And hopefully they'll put themselves in the same position. But, you know, Cincinnati ain't, you know, Cincinnati isn't, you know, a pushover team. So it's going to be difficult. You look at this schedule down the stretch, and I was just, you know, kind of perusing it this morning. Uh, Five of the last eight games are against teams that currently are in first or second place in their division. Um, two of the other three games are against division rivals, and that's Atlanta and Tampa Bay. So those aren't gimmies. And the last game that doesn't fit in those categories is Dallas National TV on a Thursday night. So there are no layups in that lineup anywhere. There's no homecoming games in there. So they're going to have to go out and they're going to have to do it because you can't depend on somebody right now beating Carolina the way Carolina's playing. Carolina's applying all the pressure, so you're not going to get much outside help. And – you don't want to lose because it doesn't look like the Rams. You, know, you look you look at the Rams schedule, and it looks a little bit light in the pants down the it stretch. Does. So so there's a chance yeah. where you got to, like, play lockstep with them and keep up with them because, you know, they, they're they in a position where, you know, they might not lose another game. Yeah, and speaking of no layups, the Pelicans haven't had a layup in this road trip as they've lost the first four. But, J.D., it'll be nice to see you guys at the Smoothie King Center on Wednesday and Hopefully the Pelicans can get a win tonight, and then uh, we'll talk to you on Wednesday, my friend, for the Pelicans basketball. Well, glad to be here. Glad to get these guys home, and hopefully they'll just – well, one, they got to get healthy. I mean, I've seen them you know, a little bit beat up with Elford and NAD dealing with the elbow issue. So, you know, it just seems really disjointed. I saw them, you know, on TV the other night, and, you know, they, they look out of rhythm. I guess that's the best way to say it. They look out of rhythm, <laughs> so hopefully they can get back in rhythm and get back home. All right, J.D., I appreciate the time. We'll talk to you on Wednesday. All right, Daniel, thanks. And now it's time to turn our attention to the Pelicans. It's the Pelicans and the Thunder tonight from Oklahoma City, Chesapeake Energy Arena. Joining me now, of course, is Jim Eikenhofer from Pelicans.com. He was my radio partner 
the other night in San Antonio, Jim. Clearly, we were not the reason why the Pelicans lost on Saturday night, right? No, I'm not going to take any of the blame for that. Um, it was it was a real pleasure working with you again. I think that was my sixth career game I've done on radio, all with you. So, I still I think I might still be considered a rookie. I think I made one rookie mistake coming out of a break. I had my headset off, and you threw to me with a, some statement, and I didn't respond. And I just wanted to let you know, apologize right now formally, that it wasn't that I was ignoring you. It's just that I didn't hear what you had said to set me up there. You don't know how many people ignore me, Jim, so I'm used to talking to myself. So I figured you were just one of the guys <laughs> that did the same thing. I mean, there are cases where I do completely ignore you, but I just wanted to set the record straight that that wasn't one of them. Okay. Now I'm starting to get a feel for when you do ignore me, when you're not ignoring me. That's good. That's good to know for our next one later on down the line. But, uh, Jim, it's been a rough road trip so far for the Pelicans. 0-4. There's been a lot of different factors, though. Granted, you faced the top four teams in the Western Conference record-wise in those first four games. And two, the injury bug is at the Pelicans a little bit. You did see some of those guys come back against the Spurs, but when you have AD out and Alfred Payton out for some of these games, you're going to be in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, I think you said it. Those two things, those two factors, the, the lack of having Alfred, I think, has really affected the offense. You see a drastic difference between the way they played in the first four games that they won and the last five that have been losses. Um, and then AD has played two of these games, but his, I mean, he's been uncertain from game to game. It's been hard to get any, you know, consistency as far as the lineups go, as far as whether he's going to be on the court or not. And he's frankly has struggled in these couple games that he's played. He hasn't seemed like he's been in rhythm and, you know, whether it's aggressive, his aggressiveness or not, he just hasn't looked like himself. And hopefully as he gets, you know, back as far as, being on the court more consistently, he'll we'll be able to see the Anthony Davis that we know just dominates games. So when you noticed him like on Saturday, do you feel like his his shot was just short a little bit? Can you tell that there's some lingering problems with the elbow? Yeah, it could be. I mean, he the the interesting thing is it seemed like that was one of his best games shot blocking wise. So it doesn't seem like it's affecting him on the the defensive end. I do think, and this might be a, almost a separate conversation altogether. I do think that that Alfred not being on the court has affected him negatively too because you don't have that point guard who's, you know, looking for him and setting him up for easy baskets. It doesn't seem like AD's gotten as many of those dunks and layups in these last two games that he's played than he did earlier in the season when obviously Alfred was also healthy and, and in the lineup. Defensively, I feel like the Pelicans have struggled a lot on this road trip as well, given you are playing four very good teams, but it seemed like, especially in the game against San Antonio, a lot of miscommunication on defense, a lot of easy baskets on backdoor cuts that the Pelicans haven't been able to get a hold of. Do you see the same thing in those four games? Yeah, I thought Saturday's game against San Antonio was a really good example because the in, in trying to be optimistic looking forward, I thought they looked a ton different in the second half defensively than they did in the first. The first half, as you mentioned, they were a step behind. It seemed like they were always playing catch-up. The Spurs were always a pass ahead or a cut ahead. But in the second half, um, the Pelicans were a lot more aggressive. They tried. It seemed like they were double teaming. They were, you know, being um, aggressive and, and trying to take the game to the Spurs instead of reacting to what the Spurs were doing on offense. And it was a little bit, in some ways, similar to what New Orleans did against Portland in the playoffs last year, where you just saw them trapping the ball, double teaming, making the other team make tough decisions. Um, so, if if we can see more of that in, in against Oklahoma City. Um, maybe that'll be effective, but 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 as you noted, I mean, the defense has been been a, a struggle throughout this whole road trip. Part of it is you've played against 
four teams with the four best records in the West so far. But um, you still have to fit, find a way to play better and be able to slow people down and not give up as many 30-point quarters as they have on a lot of this trip. I've been trying to find some stats that kind of some positive things about the Pelicans. And at least I found Nikola Mirotic, I think, has been playing well offensively. He had another career high in rebounds last game, 22 points, 16 rebounds. And then when him and AD are on the floor together, it's night and day. When you two see those two guys together, how do they complement each other? And how also does that make the offense even uh, more scary? I think when they're both on the floor, that obviously AD draws so much attention that Nico ends up with more open threes. He's done a pretty good job offensively lately, even in the games that AD hasn't played. But I feel like that accentuates what Nico's skill set is, and and vice versa as well. Nico draws defense away from the basket, and it just gives AD a lot more room to create. So those guys have had a really good tandem, and you know Julius Randle as well. Even though he's had a couple games lately where he struggled, including at, at big time at the free throw line in the last game. But um, but yeah, I think right now we just want to be able to get back to the point where AD plays a, a string of consecutive games and I'm sure we'll start to see a lot of what we saw in the second half of last season in terms of the Davis Miritich uh, partnership. All right let's talk about this Oklahoma City Thunder for a little bit. Two teams Jim between the Pelicans and Thunder have gone in opposite directions. Pelicans win four straight to begin and now have lost five straight. Thunder lose their first four and now have won four straight. What have you seen from the Thunder from afar through their first eight games? I think Two of the biggest factors really have been that obviously Russell Westbrook was out for the first couple games. He came back and it seemed like it took them a little while to adjust again after he was on the court. But also competition-wise, they started out the season at Golden State, which is as tough as you can start. Lately, they've had some good wins, but not against teams that have been that great. They just beat Washington in a recent game. Um, They had a win over Charlotte that they had to really come from behind to win. So um, I feel like if you're Oklahoma City, you're you're pretty optimistic at the way the season is trending right now. But in terms of you've won four in a row, but I'm curious to see if they keep this up when they go back to playing against tougher teams, in, including you know tonight against New Orleans. So, what are going to be some of the keys tonight for the Pelicans in order to get that first one of this road trip? Um, I think you know, obviously, once again, defense is big. Uh, one of the things that the players talked about at shoot around today, and I'm sure they've talked about over the last couple of days, is limiting turnovers. The Spurs. Uh, took advantage of the sloppiness of the Pelicans on Saturday. And I think Oklahoma City can capitalize that to even greater extent because they have Russell Westbrook who wants to run and get out and attack on fast breaks. And uh, Paul George, who's also a great player in the open floor. So Oklahoma City is a very dangerous defensive team from the standpoint of they have those two guys I mentioned in Jeremy Grant and Terrence Ferguson and some of these longer athletic guys that really like to play passing lanes, get out and run. So if you if you turn the ball over a lot and Oklahoma City can get out on fast break and score that way and get the crowd here, which is always really loud into the game, it's going to be big trouble. So I think the biggest thing probably is the Pelicans just need to take care of the ball. Um, you can't necessarily control your shooting part of the game, but hopefully they can make some threes and, and, and loosen up um, Oklahoma City's defense and, and be able to pull out a win that way. I know it's been tough, Jim, as you've lost five straight, but if you get this win tonight and then you go home, you have some pretty favorable matchups. You have Chicago on Wednesday, Phoenix on Saturday, both teams that have kind of struggled early on this season, a chance to kind of get back on track. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, it's interesting. We saw last season that um, opponents on paper doesn't mean necessarily a lot. The Pelicans had losses at home 
to some struggling teams and they had some great wins on the road against good teams. But the, the schedule so far has really been unique from the standpoint of almost all of the road games have been against teams that are top tier Western conference teams, but the early season home schedule has been, is, is a lot of teams that are really struggling. A lot of teams that have injuries. So um, hopefully they're three and one on at home so far. And I know one of the things we talked about this summer was having a better record at home. So hopefully you can you can capitalize on playing against some teams that are banged up and haven't gotten off to to good starts such as uh, Chicago and Phoenix and but yeah if they, if they can get a win tonight that would be huge launch point to go into these this brief two two game homestand they have later this week. How great will it be to sleep in your own bed tonight after nine days on the road? It'll it'll be nice. I, I know this is really probably your first like long. You've been on road trips before plenty, but this is I'm sure this is by far the longest that you've been on and. Um, um, it, it's it definitely is interesting, and it, it's you can kind of I think once you go through it, you can kind of understand why, even though from the from afar it doesn't necessarily make sense when people make excuses for players and saying like oh it's been a long trip they're tired. But I think when I've said this before in the past that all I do is sit at a, a keyboard and I'm really tired sometimes. So you can um, just imagine like what it's like for the players that actually have to be on the court for 35, 40 minutes on some nights. Yeah, we're definitely ready to get back, and I can certainly use a break from you. So I'm glad that we'll have tomorrow to kind of be that mold, and then we'll be back on track on Wednesday as the Pelicans take on the Bulls. You know, I I have to say the exact same thing applies to you. So, so yeah, I'll, I'll appreciate getting at least one day, thankfully, away from, from, from you. This has been a long time. This has been a lot of days of dealing with you. So as soon as this interview is over, Jim and I will part ways like the Red Sea, and then we'll get back together on Wednesday. Actually, we'll get back together tonight. For a pregame report update, you can watch that on Twitter at Pelicans NBA as the Pelicans take on the Thunders night at 7 o'clock. That'll do it for me here from Oklahoma City. Big thanks to John the Shazer, Mario Derez, our producer, and, of course, Jim as well. Sean Kelly will have the reins on Wednesday for another edition of the Black and Blue Report. I'm sure he'll get you ready for Saints and Bengals. They're traveling back on the road this weekend. And, again, the Pelicans at home against the Bulls on Wednesday and then the Phoenix Suns on Saturday. We'll talk to you tonight on the radio and on the television if that's where you want to enjoy this game. Fox Sports New Orleans, 7 o'clock, and News Talk 99.5. WRNO for Jim and Mario and JD. I'm Daniel Sowerson. Thanks for listening to the Black and Blue Report presented by CQ.